there's a stigma around erotic art. Unfortunately, somebody hears the word erotic and they think pornography and they get really afraid and scared of it. It's called erotic because there's nudity or there's something provocative about it. It doesn't mean that it is offensive in any way. We're trying to change that narrative. Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Netflix, which I co-founded, it was actually my fifth startup. And since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early stage companies and talk to thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own businesses, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to take things to the next level. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then try to nudge them a little further down the path toward realizing their dreams. If you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Listen, selling online is hard. Selling art online is really hard. Now imagine selling erotic art online. But Marta has made amazing inroads with her company, Art Provocateur, since she began in 2014. And while they've taken a few steps backward during the pandemic, her early start in the space and a deployment of blockchain technology just might give her a leg up. But because of the content she specializes in, driving new customers to the top of her funnel is quite a challenge, especially when even the slightest slip, if you know what I mean, might get her banned from the very platforms that would be optimal for bringing in business. Let's listen in. It's great to have you, and thanks for joining me on a relatively new thing for me, too. So this is going to be uh, interesting and fun. Where are you right now? What part of the world? In Toronto. In Toronto. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really intrigued to learn a bit more about your business. I think it sounds, at least from the outside, really, really interesting, which is why I'm so glad that we're getting a chance to chat about this. So just to start us off, why don't you just quickly give me the high level about what it is that your company does? Sure. Okay. So Art Provocateur is the premier destination for blockchain registered collectors, fine art, and photography in the nude, provocative, and erotic genre. It's a new digital platform and marketplace offering upscale products, fine art printing, and an exquisitely collect, uh, curated collection of some of the best artists and artworks in the world. We focus all our work on in e-commerce, and we do some small events. At this point, being a startup, we're doing a lot of a small, well, we were before the COVID came along. We're doing the small events and pop-up gallery-style uh, showings. But mostly, we're an online marketplace, and we do all, all our marketing and all our sales online. And it's very challenging because of the um, stigma around nude art and erotic art in general but also because marketing is very difficult due to the nude content. So we face a, a lot of red, red tape and things we have to work around because of our content. And it's, it's a very challenging marketplace to be in. So tell me a bit, how did you get into this space? Well, honestly, it started off as a passion project and I love uh, photography. So I used to work with a photographer I have this thing for like beautiful body shots and nude art, but very, very tasteful work. So I, I've developed an eye for it. And I realized when I first started this, I was like, you know, I started dabbling in the space. 
I noticed that nobody was really focusing on it. And I had reached out to a few photographers who agreed to work with me. So based on their agreement to work with me, I started building a platform for it. How long ago was this? This was in 2014, where I started really doing some of the work. And then I incorporated in 2015 and started working with developers and designers and started investing serious amounts of time into it at that point. Well, I got a bunch of questions. So give me a sense of order of magnitude. And I'm not sure the best way to measure that. Is it number of pieces of art sold? Or do you think about it in terms of gross sales or in terms of net revenue? Or how are you doing? What scale is this business so far? Well, we're, it's slow right now, especially (laughs) because of COVID. It's really hard. We did really well when we were able to actually show the art in life because it's hard to sell art online in just in general. But there's so much more to it when you can see the beauty of it up close, up front. You see the quality of the work. You see the framing of the work. A lot of times that's what will sell it. So we did very well there, but then we had to stop the, the physical events then and just focus on online. It really did slow down and we've had to seriously downsize. So I can't really answer. That's okay. So is the online business a temporary necessity or is that part of the long-term vision for the company? That's definitely the long-term vision. Selling art online, when I started out, there was a handful of companies doing it. And now there's well over 350 companies selling art around the world online. This is online. So this is definitely the way of the future. Now the blockchain is being used for provenance tracking. So that's the new technology that's getting into the art space or or rather are getting into that technology and we're working with the blockchain as well so we're registering art that way to manage provenance tracking but also adding credibility to the work and to the artist the way of the future is definitely online but i think it needs to go hand in hand with physical events and being able to bring people through a gallery or doing pop-ups and driving attention that way Tell me a little bit about the complexity that dealing in erotic art brings to it. There is a stigma around erotic art. Unfortunately, somebody hears the word erotic and they think pornography and they get really afraid and scared of it. But erotic art, right, to like the history and the beginning of art, you know, thousands of years of paintings, even like back to like Egyptian times, nude art was always around And it's called erotic because there's nudity or there's something provocative about it. But it does not mean that it is sexual. It doesn't mean that it is offensive in any way. We're trying to change that narrative. Did I use the right word? Is erotic the word you use to describe the overall genre? We call it provocative (laughs) so that we don't scare people away with the word erotic. I try to use that more than erotic. But in the end, I'm also trying to change the way people look at this style of work and show that, hey, this is a beautiful piece of art. Everything that I've curated to the site, people have said to me, wow, this is really well put together and the work is so tasteful because I'm selecting pieces that are really beautifully done. Yes, they're nude. Yes, they are provocative. Some of them are really, really erotic, but they're all really beautiful and well done. And there are people out there that have these pleasures and fetishes and who like to look at this type of work. Tell me a little bit about the economics of being a, I guess you'd consider yourself a gallery of sorts. You describe it as a marketplace, which means that you're just really connecting sellers and buyers. You're not taking a position in the art. Is that right? That's right. So we are just a middleman, really. We're acting as the gallery where we are 
just connecting buyers and artists. Let's say if I was to go into a, a bricks and mortar gallery, what's the basic economic model for that? If I paid a thousand dollars for a piece, do the artists get five hundred? Do they get eight fifty? How does that work? I think it varies by the gallery and the agreement the artist has with the gallery. Physical galleries and the big galleries, especially the ones in New York and, and all over the world, those guys, I think they charge upwards of about 40, 50% on a sale. Wow. I don't know exactly. It's not always the same. And it also depends on the artist and what their name would bring to the gallery as well. And what's your deal? We charge 30%. But we also produce the work. Ah, you print it, in other words, for people. It depends. We offer production for digital and photography. We don't offer reproductions of original art. So we won't take a scanned painting and reproduce it and call it a limited edition. If you have a painting, you can sell it on our site at your price, and we take a 30% commission on the sale. If we produce it, we have our cost. And then you have your commission, and we take a 30% of the sale. So there's two ways of doing it. Really interesting. So basically, I won't go down this hole for too long, but if someone has a physical work of art, canvas, for example, do they ship it from their studio or did you ship it from yours? They ship it directly from their studio to the buyer. Okay. Are there exclusives with the artists or can they make their work available on multiple galleries? They can. They can work with physical galleries. They can work with other online galleries, but we do ask our artists to not sell the same artwork that they're selling through our space with another online gallery because then we're competing in pricing and in our branding. And so we do try to keep it unique on our site. At this point, because we're new to erotic genre, the artists that we are working with give us their new to erotic genre work and then they'll work with another online gallery for some of the other genres. Really interesting. I've got a whole bunch of directions we can go with this, but before I even jump into that, is there anything specific that you um, feel you're struggling with that you want to chat about today? My question was what I've been trying to conquer for a long time here is how can we increase the traffic to our site with the limited amount of resources we have today, but also with the limited options we have because of new content. There's a lot of red tape. We're not able to use social media or Instagram. We can't promote there. So we have to be very careful not to get shut down with our Instagram. And we really have to be strategic about our marketing. So we are trying different things, but maybe you have some insight as to how we can tackle this because of the content that we carry. I do have some opinions, but I have one more question though. Of the 350 some odd sellers, I think that was the number you used, of online photography, online art, did I art, miss you? Yeah. Of online art. It could be anything, yeah. How many of them specialize in erotic or provocative? To be honest, I have yet to find another company that does genre-specific nude erotic. I know that they carry nude content. I'll, in addition to the other genres, so they'll have a category for nude photography or erotic art. But I haven't seen a lot of erotic art, and I haven't seen yet another site that focuses on this genre only. So... First of all, I think this is really interesting, a really cool idea for a business. And there's two or three different directions I was going to go in. So I'll just touch on those. And then I'll actually, I think I can hit your question right in the head, or at least we can talk in that direction. The first was that you've described it as a marketplace. And whenever I hear those words, my ears perk up because marketplace means a very specific thing in the e-commerce world. 
And it has some really interesting challenges because you are, as you mentioned, you're connecting two different sides of the market. In your case, the people who produce the art and the people who want to buy it. Or as you, you know, as you know, everyone refers to it as the demand side and the supply side. The demand side, of course, in your case, are the people who want to buy it. Supply side is the people who want to provide it. And one of the big decisions you have to make as a marketplace is which one of those is the first nut to crack. Because what sinks marketplaces, at least in my opinion, and at least have I studied them, is doing both of them at the same time. Because it's really, really hard to build both of them up at the same time. Of course, you do need both. You can't have an Uber if there's tons of people who want to drive, but no one wants to get rides. And vice versa, it doesn't work if you have a lot of people who want rides and no one wants to drive. But the way that marketplaces get traction is usually by picking which one of those is the harder one, the rarer commodity, that if I have it, it will attract the other. And I'm not entirely sure in what side of it is the more critical one for you. But I suspect that you're correct that if you can build up a big demand side, the supply side will take care of itself. Meaning you're going to have way more people who want to exhibit art on your platform if you can build a robust audience of acquirers of erotic and provocative art. Is that a, a fair assumption? There's no shortage of great photographers if you had a huge audience clamoring for it. Is that right? That's right. But then I agree with that side of things. It would be great to be able to do that first. But how are you going to build an audience when you don't have the artwork to showcase? That's the problem. You can't be straddling the two and trying to inch them both up little by little. You really, take my word for it, have to nail one and count on the other one showing up. Because mm -hmm. you're correct. I mean, I, I can't name, I'd say Maplethorpe, but he's dead. But, you know, if, if you're going to Maplethorpe, you can't convince him, one of premier provocative artists, to go solely with you if he looks around and goes, but you have no customers. Whereas if you can go to these artists and go, hey, I've got 10,000 people who are clamoring to buy the premier art. That's why you should sell with me rather than sell with this person who has the office in New York City, you know, whatever the case is. But you can also make the argument you should go the other way, that if you can convince someone because of some reason that they should list solely with you, and you think that'll build the audience, you do it that way. And the reason this is critical is because you have to then put the conditions in place to make that one side be favored. Now, I'm going to say some stuff based on an understanding which is probably 15 or 20 minutes old. So I will say things with great certainty with the acknowledgement that I don't really fully understand it. But for example, you could perhaps attract someone like a Maplethorpe, if he wasn't dead, if you said there's no commission, we're listing for free. Uh, hypothetically, I'm not saying you should do that, but that's the type of thinking you would use if you believe that if I build up the supply side, the demand side will be there. You could even do even things more favorable. You say, I'm going to give you a negative 10% commission. I'm willing to pay you more than we capture. I'm making stuff up off the top of my head. But you begin to go to extreme lengths because you believe once I have the gallery of all the best artists, I'll have no acquisition costs because everyone will go, I want that artist. I got to come here. But you're thinking, and I think you're probably correct, it's the other way around, that if you can build up the audience you'll have no problem eventually being able to attract artists to demonstrate on you. So we'll come back to that in a second. Okay, with me so far. My second piece is that you started off your quick elevator pitch and 
there was a bunch of stuff in there. What jumped out at me was, was blockchain and a marketplace and art and erotic or provocative. I can't remember the term you used back then. At that point, the alarm bell that been ringing for me was the focus one. In my opinion, you should be very, very careful about staying focused. In other words, if you believed, for example, that, oh, what will differentiate me from the other 350 galleries out there, online galleries, and the ones that will really help me attract people is blockchain, then you should be all about blockchain if you really believe that that's what customers are clamoring for and that you can be one of the few who offered blockchain certification and tracking and provenance of art. Fantastic. My gut is probably that's not the big bell for people. I'm going to guess it's correct. No, I'm not saying you don't offer it. And I'm not saying you don't say it's important to offer it. And that's that you don't say that its provenance is critical. Perhaps that blockchain becomes what is the driver for building up your supply side. But for your demand side, they could give a shit about blockchain. What they care about is I can't get this quality erotic art anyplace else. So I would be really careful you do these two things is pick which side of the marketplace is the one that you have to build. And if you build it, they will come. The rest of the business will fall into place. And then you can switch. We'll get to that. Oh, I can talk marketplaces all day long. And the second thing is to build that, you have to focus very clearly on what that what is most important to that singular side of the market, to your demand side. Okay, I'll do the big reveal about how I think you should attract customers. But you with me so far in all this stuff? You have questions or comments? Am I way off base? No, you're right on track. And I agree with everything you're saying. And, you know, I think that it's a fine balance of both. We had to start with some artwork. We got a young artists to come on board and then we started building an audience. But in order to grow in this space, you're right. We do have to focus on building a bigger audience in order to gain and bring on board the bigger artists and the, the bigger names. So it is a fine like um, ballet dance, if you will. And that's sort of where we are right now. It's a really, really tough balancing act because in my opinion, you've got to pick one side and dramatically favor that side to make it happen. And then what happens is once that happens, it changes. Once you all of a sudden have this huge, for example, demand side, then you can begin changing it and begin reaping the profits from the demand side and build the supply side. But one has to come first because it's so hard to get either of them to work because of the reason you said getting two things in place simultaneously is a bear. So tell me what you're doing with PR. Well, currently, a lot of our work has been organic growth. So we haven't done a lot of PR campaigns or invested a lot into PR. And with the limited resources we had, we focused a lot on the physical events and organic growth online. So not very much today at this point. We wanted to take the PR when we were planning to do a New York event, a New York pop-up. I like New York, LA and go that route. But with COVID, it kind of just sidetracked the entire plan. This pregnant pause is me thinking, which I try and do before I open my mouth, not always successfully. So you are in a lucky spot for, I think, a couple of reasons. The first is that the stigma, the legal complications, the hassles of being in the erotic space keep other people away. It's not easy. You have to worry about things that someone who is selling cute little drawings of kittens doesn't have to worry about. Right. 
But at the same time, that's a huge advantage in that if you get that right, it will be a big barrier to other people coming after you and allows you to jump in front of people once you begin to put in place all those techniques. The other thing is that sexuality is a trigger and it's the most effective marketing trigger right up there with the word free. (laughs) And it would seem that there is a huge opportunity for you to make a lot of noise by talking about something that most people don't want to talk about, but that people do want to hear talked about. I think your choice of going in the social media direction is fantastic. I can't imagine that couldn't be hugely popular, especially, and I would imagine that there is artwork which is just to the other side of the line that you also carry? Well, if there's really hardcore and there's really... I meant the safer side of the line. In other words, the Instagram safe side of the line. There is safe work, absolutely, and fully covered um, models and things like that. But the ones that are showing nudity, we have to blur it for uh, Instagram and can't even use Facebook. But for Instagram, we... We like to showcase artwork on the wall and in rooms, and we will blur the nudity so that we don't get flagged. Yeah, that's almost, in my opinion, as I imagine, you may have spent hundreds of thousands of hours on finding that line. But if you can find that line, I think it's a very powerful thing, including if the artists are comfortable having their work shown on Instagram. But again, if someone has 20 pieces with you, that I'll say this would need to be two pieces or three pieces, which can be Instagram friendly, Mm -hmm. but give a very good idea of the quality of the person's work, of the subject matter of the work, but can be shown on Instagram. And then of course you do need to be able to link in your bio or link in the comments, as I imagine you probably do, to the site to actually be able to see the other side of the line material. But certainly, I mean, it's used for different purposes, but certainly Instagram, TikTok a lot, a lot of the other social media, which are used for people who are trying to sell pornography. In other words, they're showing things which are semi-safe for work so they can be on TikTok and Instagram, et cetera. But then people can go to their my fans or only fans or whatever it's called, direct people into the places where that the type of work can be shown legally and under the right conditions. It would seem to me that's a pretty incredibly good playbook for you to follow if you're not already. And maybe I'm missing something that makes that impossible to do. But the reason I asked about the PR is, in my opinion, PR is the most powerful marketing tool of all, especially if you have a story. And you absolutely have a story. And I don't think necessarily the story is the art the story is a little bit the struggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and I'm surprised that, in other words, you can make the story about yourself and your, your business partner, right? I do, yes. The model, I'm going to kick myself for not being able to remember the name, but I'm an investor in a company, and I'm not even going to get the category right, but basically it's uh, sexuality products for women. Okay. And it's vibrators, it's gels, it's all those things. And for women, it's all designed for women. It's all marketed to women. Their PR angle extremely effectively is the fact that 
Instagram won't allow them to talk about it, that the New York subway system would not allow them to place advertising there, that they were not allowed to place run television advertising. And so they were able to make their case about this double standard that you could have erectile dysfunction ads in the Super Bowl, but not talk about women's sexuality products in the same mediums. But it would seem to me that there's an angle ripe there for you to play to get attention for your business by talking about what it's trying to do, what's trying to make something which is at its heart a healthy thing, which as you pointed out, nudity and erotic art has been with us for uh, centuries. And and that you are just doing what the best artists of their day, that's how they worked. In other words, I think those two angles, social and public relations, would allow you to get a tremendous bang for very, very little buck. I agree. Both those sides are something we've been planning and creating strategies and how would we play this and what story are we going to tell? So definitely it's something we've talked about and we've been slowly, you know, making our way there with our events and the timing of the situation with COVID and it kind of took us back a little bit. So PR is definitely a place where we want to expand our story, where we want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, one of the best things that could happen to you is have someone stop you from advertising someplace, allows you to make a story out of it. Well, we've already been shut down on Instagram once. So that's why we are very careful about what we do today is because we've already lost a huge following in our first attempt. (laughs) So it is a fine line and we are trying to figure it out. We're trying to make sure that we don't cross the line in any way where we were offensive. But again, you know, it's in their power to say, hey, we're going to shut you down. There's nothing you can do about it. And all that work you've put in is gone. And all the followers are gone too. So it's an effort that's continuous. It's always risky, and there's a chance that you may lose it all. Just one day you wake up, and it's gone. And they've shut you down, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Even though I'm saying it's a great strategy, it is dangerous because you're right. The power they have is so absolute and so difficult to argue with because it's faceless. I can see the, the hesitancy there. I guess all the more reason to try the PR route. Perhaps there's a role to make yourself a domain expert in censorship. In other words, that you are a person who writes comments, tweets about that, with the goal being that people begin reaching out to you for comment whenever there's any form of capricious censorship that you feel that you're on the right side of. I'm just trying to think of some way to position yourself as a thought leader in a space so that you can begin getting yourself quoted when uh, you know CNBC is running a piece on something that got shut down and they're looking for people actively to interview. And because of the nature of your business is so interesting and different, it would be a perfect place to develop yourself as a resource, as a spokesperson, as someone that magazines, newspapers, websites, television, radio call on to give comment on these things, which allows the name of your business to get out there, and which is the most effective way to do the PR it's going to be hard to do the PR that says, press release, we now are carrying John Doe or Jane Smith. Eh, whatever. But if you can find some other way to reach out and get your name out there that leverages something big happening in the world, that's the most effective way to do it. Agreed. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> in a nutshell, it's focus. Focus on what side of the two-sided marketplace you want to be on, which one you need to get right. And if you get it right, the other one will follow. And then- Focusing your messaging, 
which is make it really clear what it is you stand for and what differentiates you and not confuse people. Embed the message, which is designed to appeal to two different sides of the market, but be clear to have your message focused on the side you want. And then I think it really is playing that PR game, which you're already doing, but maybe adding on the role of yourself or your business as the champion, yourself as the pioneer, yourself as the fighter, yourself as a spokesperson. And I'm not sure whether that will come naturally to you or not, but... Uh, I'm growing into the role, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, I it's mean, a- when I started this out, I was shy. So like, I have definitely had to teach myself how to speak and how to answer. So it's definitely, I'm definitely growing into it. <laughs> You're doing okay today. Thank you. <laughs> The PR thing, it's like social media and that at first you're going, why does anybody care what I think? But you'll find out the people who do care what you think will find you. And I can assure you, I think the fight that you're fighting and the category you're trying to pioneer and the product you're trying to bring forth to the world is a really good one. And I think people do want to hear that. And I think that you're in the lucky position that it would be wonderful to have a Christian right group in Kansas City fight to shut you down. That would be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Bring it on. (laughs) Exactly. Once you realize that, (laughs) you'll be all set. Okay. Well, I look forward to it. (laughs) Yeah. So what I do have a big favor to ask is I would love to hear from you in three to six months about how it's coming. I'd love to hear whether you figured out some way to really make the social media piece work without the fear of it getting shut down, whether you figured out some way to leverage the PR and how it's going with uh, opening the floodgates to the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of eager buyers of provocative art. Definitely well, thank you so much. Thanks Marta, and really good luck. Thank you. I love this business. And I think if she breaks down the marketplace dynamics that are in play here, she may be able to really increase the overall activity on her site. It just might take some unconventional thinking. And if social media is too squeamish to feature her art, then perhaps she needs to lean into those restrictions and make herself the poster child for overly moralistic censorship. I'm looking forward to hearing how she navigates this tricky challenge. So that's all for today, but before I go, I want to thank Marta for sharing her business idea with me, and I look forward to hearing back from her in a few months to see if my advice helped. If you want to discuss your business challenges with me, I'd love to hear from you. Just visit me at markrandolph.com. That's Mark with a C, Randolph with a PH, or call me at 1-888-MARK-POD. That's 1-888-627-2763. Together, We'll figure out your best next steps. In the meantime, if a 30-minute podcast is too much for you, check out my short-form ramblings on Twitter at mbrandolph or see it all prettied up on Instagram at that will never work. Of course, you can check me out at LinkedIn at, well, shit, you can figure that out yourself. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Thank you.